Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is the Brockleary Podcast. Always a pleasure. And with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. All right. Uh, welcome, Ari. Thank you. Thanks for all your contributions. Um, listen, so one, one of the things, we live in a world uh, of where terror tries to rear its ugly head as often as possible. And the, the, the whole point of terrorism is to uh, literally terrorize people into cowing and to being afraid. And, and fear is their greatest weapon, right? Now... I don't know who said it, but fear is something that you can choose, right? Just in the same way as you can decide to be angry, you can decide to be sad, you can decide to be distraught, or whatever it is, frustrated, you name the emotion, you decide whether or not you're going to let it get under your skin. Fear is one of those things. You can decide to be afraid. So, for example, uh, recently in Los Angeles, we had a uh, bomb scare that was to uh, apparently be planted somewhere in the LAUSD, that's the Los Angeles Unified School District public system. And um, of course, nothing happened. It was a hoax. And, but all the schools in the public school system uh, closed down. And some schools, private schools, you know, in, in, in concern also decided to close down. So, look, uh, they made the decision to be afraid. Okay, now you may say, come on, Barack, come on, Ari. Uh, we were just being cautious, you know. We can't take the risk that um, even if, if there is a bomb scare and one child dies on my watch, well, God, by golly, you know, I'll never be able to live with it. Okay, I, and I understand that. But that same reasoning will apply is if your wife who is, is overly paranoid or, or fearful of life and says, I'm afraid to go on an airplane because there is a chance that plane may crash. Certainly, there's, it's not zero. It, there is a chance. And you send them off and up on the plane and, uh, and then, you know, what if it does crash and you force them on the plane because you wanted them to see grandpa and grandpa, for example, right? Well, and then they crash and they die and you, you can't live with yourself. Is that, a, is that a valid way to, to go about life? Of course not. Likewise, sending them to Disneyland in a car, which is far more risky than an airplane, right? 
you can do that too. And then you say, well, you know what? I decided to go on this day, and th that was the day that there was a Big Mac truck that was, dr you know, the driver was drunk, and he, and he killed my family. I'll never forgive myself. Well, but, but you should be able to forgive yourself. It has nothing to do with forgiving yourself. It's just that's life. It's the truck driver you shouldn't forgive. Right. It, it, good point. And, and you could be in the, right, uh, the wrong place at the wrong time. I get that. But that's all it is. Wrong place, wrong time. And there's, there's, you cannot fear life over and over again. And that's what happened recently with the LAUSD uh, scare. There are scares like this, bomb scares all the time. And, and the people who do this, and it was a hoax, and it was an obvious hoax to me right away. It turns out, and this I did not know, it turns out that when they said something about Allah, they didn't spell, they didn't capitalize the, the word Allah. Okay? So there, there you have it. But that's, that's not the only reason, the indication of the hoax. The main basis for believing it was a hoax was that there was a threat at all. You know, the San Bernardino attacks or the Paris attacks, nobody warned them ahead of time to say, hey, we're going to do these crazy things, right? It happened, though. That, that's where the terror really lies. Was there a um, phone call to the World Trade Center before the planes crashed? Into yeah, it? exactly. Good point. I don't think there was. Yeah, on either occasion, right? It was, I think, in 1993 and, uh, and then, of course, 2001. Neither of those times. Yeah, because it would have um, reduced the number of um, casualties. Right, they wanted to maximize casualties. So, of course not. And, and in the history of the world, there are very few exceptions where... Uh, Perpetrators of real evil like this, who are designed just to kill as many innocent people, will tell them ahead of time, right? And in fact, the only people that have ever told their 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 uh, the, the intended targets, or at least innocent people who may be in in line, uh, are the Israelis during wartime. This has never happened in the history of the world. Why are they stupid? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but but seriously, they don't want to have innocent people die, and so during the Gaza conflict and otherwise, they they texted, they phoned, they passenger pigeoned, they did everything to get innocent people out, and they said we're going to just we're going to blow up these buildings and that and, and that buildings. Putting aside, you know, Ari is shaking his head as if it was a mistake, <laughs> but putting that aside, you know, Israel is going out of its way, but that's a wartime, right? The only other time I can think of is when. Um, the Israelis, uh, the, the makeshift army that, that existed uh, before 1948, the independence of Israel, uh, they were fighting the British who were occupying the, the area. And they, they blew up a hotel, the King David Hotel, where there were only officers, by the way. But they still told them ahead of time, we're going to blow up this place, right? So, so that they wouldn't have innocents die. Got it? It was the idea was, we're in charge here. Okay, that's all. But they didn't actually want to kill anybody. But this is, of course, different, and the Israelis are not terrorists by any stretch. These people, uh, the ones who perpetrated this recent hoax, they just want to see a lot of action. I think we talked about this last week. Uh, for, for many people, they're motivated by a sense that because of their small action, incredible things can, can happen. And this is, you know, it goes to the nature of evil, right? Evil's easy, and good is very hard. So evil... Like I said, you can just light a match in a, in a very dry forest and horrible things will happen as a result with one single match. That's all you have to do. Or uh, on a somewhat small, harder scale, but not that much harder, you take a, a machine gun and you go into a crowded theater and, you know, there you go. You're done. And suddenly you're on the nightly news and everything else. Okay. 
You get the picture. But this is what this is what they try to do. And, and so I'm interested not in these jackasses. You know, how do we stop this? You know, that these monsters. We will never be able to stop these monsters because it, you, you might as well say we'll never be able to stop. Uh, that they will be able to stop airplane crashes or car crashes. It will happen. That's what insurance is for and, and so forth. Stuff happens in life. And you'll get cancer and you'll get heart attacks. And yeah, but, you want, but you want to talk about the reactions people choose. That's to. right. It's how we react that makes the difference. And, and Israel is such a great country for this because they don't let this kind of crap bother them for a moment. For them, it's like... It's, I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit, but it's, for them, it's like, you know, it's raining. You know, what do you do when it's raining? Are you afraid of the rain? Because after all, you might, you might catch a cold or you might skid on the, on the road. Or your suede jacket might wind up with some stains. That's right. So you yeah. shouldn't wear suede shouldn't wear. take an umbrella. But you, take it, you deal with it, right? That's the point. Right. And here, it's some schmuck, uh, you know, made a bomb threat, and, um, and the whole world was a Twitter about this. Well, that's, that's madness, and we responded in a stupid way. And, and it only accelerates the chance that this will happen again. And it only does that in a, in a way that's extremely profound that I don't think we've considered yet, which is this, the role model aspect. A school is a place, it's not a workplace where adults that are fully formed into their adulthood are going for a day of work. Where these are children who are learning how to deal with challenges in life. And what kind of, we're, we're constantly told about the whole role model thing. Oh, this athlete can't do that because what if children act like him or something? Right. So, what are these children who are in school going to learn from these teachers and administrators anytime there's a crisis if this is how you're taught to react to it? Right. Yeah, yeah. That you should, you should not kind of stand your ground and, and deal with this. And, and what you should be doing is simply to say, look, we don't perceive these bomb threats to be meaningful. It doesn't affect our school. Uh, and even if it did, it, you know, the, the chances of a bomb threat actually being carried out is really minimal. Uh, we've surveyed our own particular campus and see no reason to believe that uh, there's anything, uh, any harm afoot. We will not play their game. We will not live in a world of terror. And we will not live in fear. That's the, that's the response. Yes. Okay? Now, absolutely. Yeah. So the question is, why? Why do people respond to these bomb scares as they have. Because it makes them feel good to live in fear. It really does because, it, like you were saying, it's hard to do the right thing. Taking responsibility and being courageous is hard. The definition of courage isn't doing something dangerous like uh, zip lining or something. Right. Doing something courageous is when you're afraid, choosing not to be. Right. That's courage. Right. As my brother once said in one of his movies, my, one of my favorite movies of his, it's choosing the harder right over the easier wrong. Yes. Right? Precisely. Okay. So, so going back to the bully example that I think we spoke about last week, um, you know, it's, it's easier to give in to the bully. Give him your lunch money, as the case may be, or, or just running away. Or that's, tell the wait, wait, administrator. Wait. Yeah. Or tell the, well, that's you know, right. the adult. It's easier. It's easier not to confront the bully and take the chance that he's going to pound the living crap out of you. Right? Yeah. That's easier. And that's what we're doing. We're letting ourselves being bully, bully, be bullied. But when I ask the question, why are we responding to this? Because cause it's more, it's an overarching uh, response, um, I, I think. When you look back in, in American history, at least, when 
something rough happened, America didn't say, let's cower, let's run away. They, they rolled up their sleeves and said, we ain't going to take that crap, and we're going over there, and we're taking the war over to you, and we're going to pound the living crap out, out of you, and unconditional surrender, et cetera, et cetera, right? We are gonna, we're just going to blow you out of the sky. And you don't want to go there, Germany. You don't, you don't want to go there, Japan, and so on. Now it's like, how can we, how can we help you? How can we avoid war? How, what, what are the perfect words that we can say to make you feel better, to not hate us? That's, that's exactly the, 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 the response to a bully that they want. Okay? And I, and I put it to you that the reason why it is so easy and why, sorry, the, the reason why we are responding the way we are is because we don't believe in anything. As a country, we don't know who we are. In fact, we, we hate ourselves as a country. I'm not speaking about you and me hating America. We love America. No, you're talking about the but aggregate. The aggregate of Americans. Yeah, they, they don't know why America even came about, for that matter. They, they only, all they do know is that America had slavery and that it treated the Indians gosh darn evilly and, and uh, that the robber barons and their exploitative and capitalism itself is, a, is an evil enterprise. That's what they, they learn in school. So they don't believe in anything. And if you don't believe in anything, in the goodness of anything, you're, you're going to cower when evil comes your way because you have nothing to prop you up, to, to give you the courage to say no. Or... You will desire to just join with evil and become part of, if you will, its horde. Not that you'll take up arms against your fellow citizens, but like um, basically what you were saying, and the perfect example of this are people who saw September 11th happen and said, ah, we deserved it. Right. And there were many people. Why, why do they hate us was the, uh, was the question, I think, on Time magazine. Or, or better yet, they answered... Uh, you know, those who went to college, graduate school, as Prager would say, I know why they hate us. I know why they hate oh, yeah, us, yeah. and I agree with that. <laughs> okay, so so let me let me get to this because we, you see, we, we talk a lot about purpose on this podcast, and you you may have noticed, Ari, we, we talked about it. In fact, at a recent event that you and I were together, I spoke a lot about purpose, and and we've said that no war, no conflict has ever been won where. The, the winning side has not had passion. And for passion, you need purpose. It's, there's no, now, that, that, that passion may be misguided. That purpose may be wrong. But nevertheless, they still win because they have that purpose slash passion. No matter how good your side may be or how nonviolent, I should say, your side may be, it will not win against an evil enterprise if you do not have an equal, if not surpassing, sense of passion and purpose. And you also made that point in regard to how well-equipped and armed that side is. Yeah. A well-armed, well-equipped side with no passion will always lose to a lesser-armed, passion-filled side. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to some extent, that's what's happening right now with Islamic terrorism. You have a radical Islamic uh, jihad, whatever you want to call it. Uh, these guys, are they're controlling us with our fear because we let them control us. We don't have the weapons, and I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the, the, the guns to fight the back. We do, ha- we do have those, but we don't have the will to use them. And we, we, in fact, we want to make laws to specifically preclude us from using them. We want to we win the war of ideas with them somehow, although we don't know what our own ideas are. I mean, that would be nice if, if we actually had uh, something that we could show them. 
I mean, it, I, it would it would be a losing proposition. But imagine if if the president, whoever it might be, Obama or otherwise, would would say, look, you know, here's here's um, Milton Friedman's uh, capitalism books, okay, and and it's going to explain why capitalism is the answer to virtually all of your problems as, as in, in life, and it is the greatest success engine the world has ever seen, okay, and it helps everyone. Innovation as well, and, and cures diseases and such. And you could convince them. I mean, but if you are passionate enough, at least you could do that. But we don't even have that. I mean, look, if you want to, if you want to take away the guns, if you want to say I don't like war, at, at, at least prop up the other element, which is the war of ideas. But we don't even do that. So, so it's not only just gun control. You understand? It's idea control. They don't want you to present any ideas. That's a brilliant point. Thank you. It really is. Yeah, it, it, and it's it's yeah, terrible. So a terribly obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, this is this is where we're going. And so when when this recent hoax, uh, you know, all started, to to my mind, it was like, okay, here we are. We're all going to start running like chickens with their heads cut off, and 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 people will say, why take the chance and all this, and I, you know. I, there's there's a less chance, there's a smaller chance that something, an actual bomb would go off in any one of these schools, let alone the school that that is not targeted. There's a lesser chance of that than than you getting in a major car accident today. And yet you still respond, and you you talk to each other. And I know say, of all I'm, things. I'm, I'm totally, and I'm totally I'm totally terrified to take my kids to school. And I, you know what you know what kind of world we live in? Yeah, that you live in a world with millions of other people, and you're going to find that a, a few of them are nuts, and you are caving into them, and you're giving them the life that they want. And now you're putting your children at risk, driving them around all day. Yeah, that's right. Ironic. So true. The other thing, though, and you talk about this over and over again is how government always finds, it's like magic, the least efficient solution for everything, both economically and logistically. Is it more efficient to, let's just say this uh, bomb threat happened, and okay, it was a one-off, this one time, we'll close the schools. Why aren't they installing the proper security uh, equipment right now to make sure no one can sneak into a school in off hours, make sure bomb-sniffing dogs are in place tomorrow? And the reason I say this is because these relatively small expenditures are much less expensive for the school than sending the children home all day, than causing parents to miss work. Every school in the public school system gets money per day for having the student in place. So they just cost themselves probably tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in aggregate throughout the whole district in one day. How much less expensive would it have been just to have the proper security systems? That's right. Uh, fences? Yeah. Um, some armed cops on campus? Maybe three or four of them yeah. per school? That's right. A lot less. For a few thousand dollars per school, you would never subject themselves to a hoax threat again. Right. Because if a hoax comes in, they review the security tape, ah, nothing came go. in, yeah. come to school, we're Inst- fine. Instead of calling it a gun-free zone, we should call it a sitting duck zone. Right? Yeah. That, that's really, because that's what really it is. Right. And you're, you're broadcasting this out loudly. But but again, you know, we're, we're, look, I love your point. I mean, it, it's so simple and it's so straightforward and economically it makes so much more sense. But, uh, you know, people don't think logically. And, and I, I really am fascinated with this. You and I are, are numbers-oriented people. And numbers have informed me 
in so many different ways. And I, and I, I really I find it fascinating how numbers play. You know, all the digital information that you have, whether it's your music, um, uh, you know, the, the screen on your, uh, your, your computers and such like that, it's all digital, right? It's not, there's no analog computer, right? You may have, you know, the old days of the LPs, it was analog, but now everything is digital, digital, even the photos that you, you take, right? And all it is is a series of ones and zeros. That's all. Numbers. Okay? So the right combination of ones and zeros gives you a smiling face of your little daughter, for example. The right combination of ones and zeros uh, help me write a brief to the court. Or give you your great Wilco bumper music. That's right. Exactly right. And, and it's really detailed. But it, everything is so precise. It's all numbers. Okay? And the, the right the numbers also dictate almost everything we do when you think about it. Even from, a, from an atheist perspective, and I'm not advocating atheism by any stretch, as you know, but even for them, everything, if it's deterministic, then everything should be decided by chances. You know, very similar to, you remember, you saw the movie Terminator, right? On all the Terminator movies. And every once in a while, you go, you see what the Terminator sees, right? Through his computer eyeglasses. And what is he doing? He's, he's evaluating everything in percentage terms, right? Likelihood of, of danger, like everything's numbers, numbers, numbers. Now, I'm not saying we should think like a robot, but I am saying that we should think a little bit more with numbers, probabilities, okay? In fact, probabilities should be the first order of business to decide, help us decide uh, to make a decision, okay? What are the odds that I'll win that lottery with this ticket? It's, it's, oh, it's apparently one out of a trillion or whatever it might be. And I'm wasting my money. More importantly, I'm wasting my time. Okay, that, that's just a bad decision. Uh, likewise, uh, I, I, I'm, if I decide I'm, gonna, I'm a mountain biker, I love mountain biking, and I want to jump over this gulch. Okay? I've never jumped over this gulch before, but I think I can do it. Right? But there's a, there's a really high, odd, high odds that I will crash. Okay? But the thrill, that it's a trade-off, right? Thrill versus risk that I'll die, okay? I was thinking more thrill versus risk to your pelvic area. Yeah, well, that's too. Because bike is kind of between your legs. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, what some, I think of. Some sort of horrible mayhem that could happen, including death. But you're right, maybe a fate worse than death. Right, as you, as which is say. why I don't ride a bike. Right, right. But, but, but that's, the tra- that's the trade-off. <laughs> right. And I make that trade-off all the time when I go mountain biking. I, I do things that are uh, challenging, uh, but to, to my mind, what I think is, okay, if I fall, I, you know, the worst that can happen to me is I'll break a bone. Okay, then that's the worst. And I've fallen quite a few times, and I've never broken a bone, by the way. But, but I, I would never do something that is so out there that it's just not worth the thrill, the 10 seconds of the thrill, right? And, and I've got my kids to think about, my wife to support. That would be madness for me so to do it. you're not going to jump the Grand Canyon? No, I will not bike. do that, no. No, it's, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Okay? All right. So those, those odds, but that's like an example of thinking about the odds, right? But then, but people somehow equate something like, like this bomb threat, this recent bomb threat, um, and, and they just think, okay, like as if somehow the, sending your child to school is the equivalent of what I just talked about, about taking my mountain bike over this huge gulch where I'm likely to, to be severely maimed for the small chance that I will land perfectly on the other side. And by the way, even if I land on the other side, the, the chances that I'll actually land on my two wheels and not also crash and skid and, and really hurt myself is very small, too. So, so you, okay, so you understand this. This is like, it's one out of what, right? What are, what are the odds? 
in fact, am I more likely to get maimed than I am to get the thrill of not being maimed? Yes. Okay? And, and in fact, the reason I do not ride motorcycles is not because I choose to live in fear. I don't ride motorcycles especially on L.A. streets, because I have a healthy sense of what the percentages for a head yeah, injury no, are. It's, it's a huge, huge issue. And then there are some motorcyclists that they, they dress better in terms of, you know, the, 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 there's a full almost body armor gear. But, like, I think to myself, what's the point? It's all hot and everything else, and I, I can't see how you can enjoy it. But that's another story. Motorcycling is, is a dangerous way of transport. You will get in a major accident. And here's the thing. Unlike a car... You know, there are many kinds of accidents in a car, right? You, there's a fender bender, right? There's a, there's a total, you know, you could be hit from the side. And, but there's, there's the airbags and everything else. But a motorcycle, no such thing. There's only one kind of accident. It's a major accident that will likely kill you if not totally paralyzed. Because it involves your body, not the body of a car. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no seatbelt. There's no point in a seatbelt. There's no airbag, right? The equivalent of body shop in a motorcycle accident is traction. Right. You know, it's very that's different. That's right. That's, that's what it is. So it's, it's just not a, it's not a good idea. Right. right? I mean, you're, you're playing Russian roulette. Okay, so there's, you know, one out of six chambers. Now, if you're playing Russian roulette and it's one out of a trillion, right, uh, you know, there's only one bullet and there are a trillion chambers somehow. You've got this amazing, you know, chamber in, in your gun. And then you say, hey, you know... I'll, I'll bet you, you know, I'll give you, uh, you know, $200,000, Barack, if you spin this gigantic chamber, right, of a trillion um, uh, bullet holes, and there's only one, one real live bullet, I'll give you $100,000 if you click it one time. What do you think? Would you take it? Of course. Yeah, that's right. That's the answer. You would take that. Yeah. Because those odds are better than just driving down the street. Right? That's, that's as simple as that. Okay? But this is, but people don't think like this. And we need to think like this. And you know what? If you think like this, with numbers in mind, you, you actually make very good decisions, very rational decisions, and informed decisions. And now, now then, but then you take into, now, now on top of that, you add in uh, the, the sense of purpose. You know, what, what am I here for? What, what's my role on the planet? And then you realize my role on the planet is to find God and to do what God wants of me. He wants me, as, as we said before, to be the most Barack Lurie I can be and the most Ari David you can be, right? That's our job. That's and, a lot of Barack and Ari yeah, for our listeners. That's right. And so when you, when you realize that that's your purpose, that's your purpose, then you start saying, you start shying away from things that are just silly, Right, I, I want to jump. I want a free base uh, jump you know, from from this building. That's that's just nonsensical. You're you're looking for the thrill for, to create your happiness when your real thrill should be finding God, right? And then the numbers should inform you about everything else. Like, is there a God? How did we come here? All these numbers, 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 numbers. Thank you very much. That's the way you should be going about it. And once you start doing those numbers, you would, you begin to shed away your fear. Fear begins to be less and less significant in your life. And they say the only fear you should have is your awe of God. That's really all it is. And that's the reason why. Because if you think, if you understand the wisdom that God provides, you will indeed start shedding your fear on virtually everything. If I, if I were to find out today um, that um, whether we're you know, that I've had, I have cancer, 
Okay, God forbid, right? I don't want to don't have cancer. Nobody does. But I think I'd say to myself, bummer. Okay. My time is about to come. Right? I, maybe I'd try to do something if it's really early. But I wouldn't be afraid. I would definitely try to set things up such that my kids and my wife are prepared and, and everything else. I'd miss them. But, but I'd know... In, I know a lot of other things also that I would eventually see them in due, in due course, and it'll be right around the corner, relatively speaking. But, but to fear, I, I don't, I don't get that. You know, you don't want to suffer a tremendous amount of pain in the process. I understand that too. But even so, you just have to kind of live your life and deal with it. The numbers will speak and and will be in a, in a sense your savior. Without numbers, there's no point. Imagine, and to prove my point on this, imagine flying an airplane without the use of any numbers whatsoever. Right? You're a pilot in an airplane. No numbers, thank you very much. For that matter, no numbers driving a car. You won't know what your speed is. You won't know what direction you're going to because essentially you need that. Right? You won't know how far something is away from where, you know, what the distance is, how much time something will take. Numbers are everywhere. Right? That the chances you'll you'll actually you know start assessing, you know, when a car is coming on, on the intersection and you wanna and you might have the right of way and you know you wanna know whether you should go across. You, you you know, you're using numbers whether you realize it or not. You're assessing his speed and everything else to whether what whether you should go forward. And you're talking about things as um, basic as red lights or green lights, since a red light is a one for on and a red or a green lights are one for on and a red light's a zero for off. Right. And Good. if you can't tell that binary difference, yep. you're gonna have a problem. Right. And that's and that's the world we ha- we live in. People you know, and you can blame that for a media that is, is a sensationalist media. I, I suppose you can do that. Um, where because they choose a particular item to talk about, well, that's what you're supposed to be afraid of. Yeah, but, you know, let's look at the, the school threat. Well, that's an example. In, in that context, because the people who found out about this then told the media, understand? It's not like the media got a hold of the threat, called up the school administrators and says, you better watch our uh, news at 5. Because we're going to tell you about a threat that you got. Right. It happened in the opposite direction. That's the right. media are out of the play on this one. Right. So, right. so it's a great example in a, in a different context, you know, when they show, say, a mugging he, one night and then how do I conduct myself the next day. Right. Fine. But with this, it was the administrators, not the media, who reacted this way. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I, I'll tell you a funny story and then we'll wrap it up. Um, there's, <laughs> I once went on vacation to Alaska, went hiking and stuff. I had a really good time. And there was, uh, I got a frantic call, frantic, from a relative of mine. And she was terrified for me. And I said, what's, what's the matter? She said, there was a plane crash in, in Alaska. And I was, I was worried for you. I thought you might be on it. So I, I'm just so glad to hear that you're okay. And be very careful, she said. And I said, listen, you know, what you say doesn't really make sense. Because that's like saying, I- I'm worried there was a plane crash in Florida, and you live in New York, and I'm worried for you. 
because it's the same distance away where the crash was, right? And why I would be on that plane versus all other planes, it didn't make any sense. I said, geographically, you understand that that's what you're doing, right? And she said, well, it's different. And I said, how? Well, Alaska is one state. <laughs> so, I said, you understand oh. that nature doesn't know that it's one state or six states in between or anything else It like would have that. been more rational to say, I heard there was a plane crash in Rhode Island, yeah. and you're in Rhode Island, because at least it's a tiny state geographically. Yeah, geographically. Okay, that means within 30 miles yeah. there was a plane crash of you. But, but you know, that's it's still... The biggest state in the land. Right. But it's even it's 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 just as silly as saying, well, there's a plane crash. I'm I'm looking out the window. We have a very long view. You know, I, I, there's a major uh, a car crash five blocks away. Oh, are you okay? You know, I well, yeah, I'm okay. It's 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 five blocks away. I mean that, and that's really close. I mean, yeah. Rhode Island is a small state, but it's it's more than five blocks long. Yes. Right. People don't think rationally. They just don't. And and rationally involves numbers. And you, the more you can think, what are the chances of X? And the more you realize that it actually informs your life on a very daily basis, on a minute-by-minute minute basis for that matter, the, the better off you'll be. And the less fear you'll have. And the more you realize that you need purpose in your life as well. And that's where you're going to have real joy and a, and a true lack of fear, at least the debilitating kind of fear like we saw recently with the, the bomb scare for the LAUSD uh, complex. I'm Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Why can't they say what they want? Why can't they just say what they want? Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. from our break. Thanks for uh, tuning back in. All right. So lately, uh, when it comes to ISIS and otherwise, we have, uh, you know, I guess you can file it under the, the category of, you know, you, you don't say, uh, which is, you know, the, 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 the migrants coming over, the so-called refugees, you know, the, the fact that they want to have some sort of debate about uh, the terminology is beyond me. But anyway, there is a debate going on and I don't really care. I'm going to call them uh, the, um, the, the migrants, okay? 
the migrants are whether they're the 800 or million that are coming over from uh, from Syria directly into Europe or the proposed 20,000 which will be more like 50,000 or 60,000 soon enough uh, into the United States that the notion that somehow we can vet these people just just fine and Danny don't you worry um, it, it's, it's not just laughable that's that's just too easy a word it's too cliche a word it's um, it's you know what it's insulting that's what it is. To say that you would know that you, that you have such confidence in the government to be able to vet every single person to the level to ensure that everyone who's coming in, all 10,000 of them, uh, is clean. Right? What, what number is acceptable? Right? What, what are you okay with? Because there's going to be, it's not 0% chance that there's going to be a, a, a bad terrorist. Apple. Yeah, bad apple among them. It, it's going to be some percentage above zero. So what is it? Is it 0.01%? You know, it's, it's kind of like, I think I said this on my Sunday show, right? How much level of arsenic is acceptable in your water, right? How many parts per billion, as they say? Yeah, because once you have, <clears throat> just so you know, based on just standard grading, if you allow 20.1%, you're still getting a low B. Right. <laughs> okay? Right. So 80% good, 20% of 50,000 people bad. Hey, I got a B. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. I gotta be. Well, and each one of them could be a slaughter of fourteen to thirty people right. at a at a community center. Oh, easily one one person, you, you know, according to statistics, it seems it would be one person is anywhere between five to twenty people murdered. Okay, that's that's the way it is with these bastards. So, so tell me what what's acceptable to you? What because the numbers the ten thousand it translates to a certain number of people murdered in a, ter- a brutal barbaric act. What is acceptable to you? Because that's really what you have to ask yourself, because it's going to happen. And for you to tell me, no, Barack, no, Ari, um, we're going to be vetting these people just fine, and they're just little babies and everything else, and widows and such like. These are the most male-looking, you know, uh, fighting-age widows and and babies I've ever met. But, you know, I I guess I've seen crazy things in the past. But look, you know, so so then the, the No Surprise Department comes in. And we see that uh, they are now, they've brought in sarin gas in with their luggage uh, to, into Europe. Okay, so that, that we know. I think it was in the subway somewhere in, uh, was it Turkey? Yeah, I think, uh, well, Switzerland. Oh, Switzerland, that's right. they found it. Yeah, they found it there. And these were Syrian refugees who had gone through Turkey. Right. So the Turkish authorities didn't find them. Yeah. And then the people doing the, the uh, customs work between Turkey and between Switzerland didn't find them. And then they show up in Switzerland. Oh, they finally found it there. But that's like three steps too late. Right. And then we, and, and that's, those are the ones we catch. You know, we don't know the ones we don't catch, right? Right. We, oh, my gosh, there's been certain things we don't know about. They don't say that to you. But this is what they, they think is, is somehow meaningful. So, all right. What we, what we know is that they are not only, and you can, you can fill up a little, because you gave me a lot of very interesting information. The sarin gas, of course. We know that uh, at least one of the uh, killers in the, in the Paris attacks came in with the migration wave. Uh, if, at least one. We, we, as a refugee. As, as a, a refugee. downtrodden, hungry refugee. That's right. Um, and we know also that uh, there are a lot of the migrants are coming in with, uh, you know, they're, they're buying up stuff like cell phones. Why don't you describe a little bit about that? Uh, this last week, there's been two news, or actually three news stories out of the middle of the country, Kentucky, Missouri, 
Uh, I think Tennessee, but I know at least Missouri. Th- uh, three incidents have occurred at Walmarts in the last few days in which a Middle Eastern man has gone into a Walmart around 2 or 3 in the morning and purchased several dozen uh, one-use cell phones, you know, so-called burner phones, phones that can be assigned to any yeah. A random number. Like we know. see in, the, in the, the TV show Breaking Bad and, and otherwise people that quickly get rid of their phones. And yeah, untraceable phones. Right. You buy it, it's got pre-bought uh, minutes, and then when you use up the minutes, you throw the phone away. These kind of phones can be used to detonate explosives. So you use one phone to make a phone call, the other phone is linked to the explosive device, and when the call comes in, it triggers the, the explosion. Also, in the same time frame as these cell phone purchases have been made out of Missouri, some stories of stolen propane tanks are happening. And uh, they also found, buried in the woods in Missouri, a large quantity of explosives Mm. that were being held by someone in an underground cache to be possibly used with the cell phone and with the propane. Yeah. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is stuff that's already here, let alone bad actors who are coming. Right, it's it's stuff that we know about. And I'd also like to put this in perspective. Uh, Jameel Shaw's murder, illegal alien. Mm -hmm. Kathy Steinle's murder, illegal alien. These are Hispanic illegal aliens from south of the border, and they're not getting vetted. And Mexico and Guatemala and Honduras have a much better handle on their citizens' records and names and birth dates and birth certificate information than does a a country like Syria, where even if they kept track of these people's births and and address information, the entire uh, data information system of Syria has been destroyed ever since 2010-2011 when the revolution against Assad took place. That's it's right. not like there's a county hall of records yeah. in in um, you know Homs or Damascus or Raqqa where you can just call up and say, hey, I got a guy in front of me in the office. Do you have a record of him? Yeah. Well, look, more to your point about the, uh, the illegal aliens that may be coming from Mexico or Guatemala, like you said, look, they may be doing uh, some of them may be doing horrific crimes, but it's not as if they're doing it because of an, an ideology that they're pursuing. Now, you may say that that may make no difference whatsoever to the victim, and I doubt that it does make a difference uh, to them. But it, it does make a difference in the larger picture. If, if somebody is using uh, – the, the, most illegal immigrants that, that come into America, they, they don't come into America for the purpose of trying to create mischief. If they're, just, they're just evil in the first place, and they just we haven't blocked them out. These, these radical Islamists, they, they have a mission. They want to, uh, they're evil, of course, but they want to come into America specifically for the purpose of committing evil in America uh, because that's what gives them a thrill and that's what gives them some power and a sense of, uh, of achievement. So that's, what's the, that's a huge difference. Now, putting aside the fact that among the 10,000 that we are thinking about letting in, you know, the, the, I'm sure among the 10,000, there are some just regular old crazies also. So we need to vet them for all sorts of reasons. And, and why, I mean, putting aside, of course, the fact that the more illegal immigrants you allow, whether they're migrants or otherwise, you know, that that means more people that have to be fed, more people that have to go on welfare, more, more people that will demand jobs and, and will arguably take away jobs from uh, 
previous uh, from American citizens. This is not what we want, right? This is going in the wrong direction, as they say. And we're also not getting that country's best and brightest. It's not like we're getting their medical students, their engineers, sure. their lawyers who have college degrees. Uh, you know, you're getting. In most of these cases, people who are completely illiterate in their home language, in their mother tongue, let right. alone English. Right. Well, so uh, one of one of my uh, colleagues has said that, you know, because I, I was making the argument to her that, you know, so many if they were Christians, that might make a difference. If they announced themselves as Christians and they they could establish that they were Christians, that they were being persecuted because they were Christians, well then. Let's let them in because the, pro, the the political asylum laws contemplate exactly that, that we, we do allow political asylum for uh, immigrants who are suffering or can demonstrate that they're suffering because of their faith or because their specific political beliefs, identifiable political, identifiably political beliefs that are run counter to the government that they're coming from. Now, that, that doesn't really come into play, but religion does come into play, of course. And so when I argued this to her, and I said, that, that is acceptable to me if they're a Christian. The argument you hear in response to that is, well, that's just a violation of the First Amendment. No, it's not. The First Amendment does not apply to, 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 in a way to say, we, we must now take on everybody immigration-wise. Immigration uh, then we just open up the doors to everybody. The First Amendment only applies to U.S. citizens. Well, it, it applies to... It really to, does. Yeah. Or... or People who are not U.S. citizens who are on U.S. soil. That's that's the answer. It applies within the territorial bounds. If it doesn't, if it doesn't, doesn't apply somehow to, to, um, uh, to, to immigrants with, you know, or it's rather that it applies to everyone outside of the United States. Well, then, it would just madness would ensue. It would mean that every time somebody shows up even close to the the American border, we would have to let them in and we have to Mirandize them and everything about it would be crazy. It doesn't work that way. Um, and the political asylum laws, it, 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 you would basically be saying that the political asylum laws themselves are unconstitutional. Well, no. You, the whole point is to, to, to show that we respect religion. It's not any religion, not a particular religion. We're not saying that you can, you're, allowed, you're only allowed political asylum if you're a Christian. Um, no, it says if you can establish on the grounds of your religion, whatever your religion might be. So arguably... You could be allowed political asylum because you're a Muslim in, in, a, in, a, in a country that is persecuting Muslims. That's right. right? That's that exactly would be okay. It. It's the persecution and oppression and who are the victims of oppression that meet the standard for who gets political right. asylum, not the particular religion or, or status that's of right. who the that, seeker is. That's, that's exactly right. And then you have uh, the, the other argument. So, so now we've just blown apart that First Amendment argument because it, it really is quite silly. The, the other argument they make is, and this is a unique one, I've, I've never heard this before. They said, well, you know, the, among the Syrian refugees, migrants, they, um, they're afraid to say that they're Christian. Because if they say they're Christian, they'll be killed while they're even waiting. So they're going to pass themselves off as Muslim. And so, you know, even though they would want to, to announce their Christianity, they can't. And they're not getting the benefit of political asylum because of that. And to which I say... I'm sorry. It's tough. That, I mean, we can't, therefore, have an open-door policy assuming that everyone that's coming in is Christian. I mean, when only a few of them are Christian. In other words, the, 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 um, the Muslims who would attack um, Christians like this 
would be using that policy uh, and, and benefiting from that ridiculous policy, right? They would be um, reaping benefits from a, a discriminatory policy of, of attacking anyone who's, who they think is Christian, and therefore now everyone must be let in. Do you understand? Absolutely. And, and the, the other point that comes up based on our, uh, our political adversaries in very broad interpretation of the First Amendment is it would require police actions across the globe by America to enforce the First Amendment freedoms of all of the world's citizens wherever the First Amendment is under assault. Wouldn't we then have to go into Putin's Russia and break uh, those punk rock bands out of jail? Yeah, no, I understand. Conceivably, if the, yeah. that was the logic? Well, yeah, no, they would say that's that's uh, that's an absurd argument and it's, it's an absurd extension because that would require an affirmative step on the part of the United States to go out to other countries. So I understand what you're saying, but that's the answer to that. But it, but it would it would say if you're going to apply it to um, anyone that we encounter with, like we go to war with, right? You, you don't you can't Mirandize your the, the soldiers that you capture, right? I mean, we talked about this before, and, and the, the fact that it was a national discussion at all was bizarre. Uh, but but in in battle, you, you don't Mirandize people before you shoot them, right? It's a, this is getting silly. It's just it's it's a incredibly silly argument. But nobody wants to talk about um, nobody wants to talk about just what, why America is fighting in the first place, why we need to you know ensure our borders are safe for all sorts of purposes. Now, there's more bad stuff that's coming on with uh, with ISIS. So we now we, we know that two dedicated ISIS uh, members came in with the recent wave into um, into a, trying to get into America right now. So. And then we've got the cell phone thing. Then we've got the the uh, the, hi the hideouts of all this ammunition that that are in there, and it's it's so um, it's so obvious that this would be happening. So look, you know, if I weren't already on board with your thinking that you know this president has an agenda, he he wants to amplify the the amount of Muslim refugees. Now that's not to say that he wants to actually cause destruction to America. But I think he wants to increase the Muslim population in America. Yeah, well, the part where I'd rebut and say, well, here's the proof that he wants to cause uh, destruction to America is two things out of the Department of Homeland Security. The chairman or the uh, secretary of uh, that department, Jeh Johnson, I don't know why his mom stopped at Jeh when there could have been like more to the name than just Jeh. Like Jeb. Jeb. Yeah, yeah, Jeb <laughs> at least completes the syllable. But Jeh Johnson gave a speech at a mosque that has been caught preaching radical Islam. That's, that's bad, right? Or generally, as I call it, Islam. But uh, let's, uh, you know, let's leave that distinction. You, you think it's a redundancy in terms? I think, yeah, I think it's extra. All right. Uh, but I'm I not, don't. You know, I'm not going to bring that here or suck you into my web of, uh, you know, whatever the, you want to call it. The opinions of Ari David do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Brucklery podcast. Yes. Thank uh, you. Thank Go you. on. There's a disclaimer from our attorney <laughs> in-house. <laughs> that's right. But the other thing is they caught 80 employees working at the Department of Homeland Security who are on American terror watch lists, and they haven't been fired yet. Wow. Now, is that no-fly list or no, terror watch list? terror watch list. Okay, because there's, there's a difference. You can get on the no-fly list if you use dental floss at the wrong time. Okay, right. Anyone can get on the no-fly list and then take months to try to get off of it. Right. Uh, so... You know, the, the standard for the terror watch list is much higher I would hope than so. the standard for the no-fly list. Right. Uh, and 
it's like you, you didn't immediately fire these people. Now I know Obama doesn't want his unemployment rate officially to go up any higher than it is at any time. I understand, you know, there's some number fudging going on in the unemployment department. Of course there is. Picture. But you would think that would be a no-brainer. The Department of Homeland Security exists to protect the homeland. Yeah. And if people are on the terror watch list, they by definition present a threat to the homeland. Right. Can't you fire them? Yeah, it's so true. Did, what you want to fire them? Well, if, of course, but, but the government is very slow to firing anybody. Uh, the government—it's too easy to say. I mean, the, the government can't fire um, uh, public school teachers who are molesting their children, right? I mean, they, what they do is they keep them on the payroll. They do keep them away from the children, but you know, they're, they're just kind of sitting around in a room. They have to show up. I mean, what an ultimate waste of taxpayer money. To say nothing about you know the, the duty to fire somebody that doesn't uh, that that does such horrible uh, crime. Yeah, but look at the standard, because I like to bring up, like, sort of the Mark Stein example on standards. A top scientist involved in space exploration is fired for wearing the wrong shirt. A top uh, scientist is fired for being a top scientist because he makes an off-color joke at a speech. They A top... A uh, technology executive is fired by the Mozilla co- uh, Corporation because he made a contribution many years ago to, gay to a gay marriage initiative. Yeah. And a, this week, to, a to, college to, student... To, to, to oppose gay marriage. Yeah, That's what it was. Pro, yeah, in support of Proposition 8. Right. And then this week, there's a version, a kind of a different version of Twitter called Yik Yak that young people use that allows them to post messages that are anonymous. And a kid at a college, I forget which one, it doesn't matter, they're all the same really, uh, posted a message on Yik Yak saying that he didn't think black women are hot. He was originally suspended for two years. They reduced his sentence to a six-month suspension Ah. because on an anonymous posting site on the internet, he didn't even say it to anyone on campus, he just said it out there and somehow someone found out when asked, he said, yeah, I said it, what's the big deal? They suspended him. So the point is, for the rest of us, for us little, um, uh, you know, uh, what would the word be? Uh, uh, little people. Uh, what was that from Gulliver's Travels? Normals. Uh, Lilliputians. Yeah, the Lilliputian us. Right. We get fired at the drop of the hat for the most minor of violations. Right. But you can be on the terror watch list in the Department of the Government that's designed to prevent terror attacks, and you keep your job. Yeah. Look, um, the, the point is, and this kind of, we alluded to this in the first half of our podcast today, which is idea control. And I actually wanted to explore this a little bit. We said gun control on the one hand. We all know what that is. And the, the notion is that you're not supposed to disseminate guns. And, and if you do that, well, then then you won't have any violence, don't you know? Um, but but the, the liberals don't stop there. They want idea control, too. They're really actually one of the same. And what do I mean by idea control? I think it's fairly obvious, but it means that you, you must hold the, the, the correct orthodoxy. Uh, and, and oftentimes that means not having an opinion at all. Okay, so if you have an idea of any kind, um, then we don't want you to have an idea. Certainly if it's conservative, we don't want that. We don't want you having the, his, the, the idea that, that America has a history which is genuinely uh, brave and genuinely noble. Um, we don't want you to advance the idea that uh, that, envir- that 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 we're actually I- improving our pollution standards. So we're actually doing much better uh, without the force of government whatsoever. They don't want you to say that uh, a li- limited government is a good thing. They don't want to say that 
they don't want you to say that God is a good thing, that God should, God should be promoted in the schools, not, let alone uh, not, not be fought in the schools. Um, they, these things, they, they, they will control you. If you start saying these things, um, they'll find a way to, to marginalize you. Uh, and if they can't do that, then they'll, find, they'll call you stupid. If they can't do that, they'll call you evil. That's, that's idea control, not thought control, idea control. And we're seeing that time and time again now. And even if you, climate change is the best example of that. If you do not go on board, I mean, you say you're, you call yourself a skeptic. I mean, what's wrong with being a skeptic? It sounds intelligent in almost every other department. I'm skeptical. Right. You can say, well, I'm, I'm skeptical as to whether or not um, cancer is caused in this cluster because there are other factors that may be involved. Okay. Yeah, or I'm skeptical of God's existence. Or I'm yeah. skeptical of the relationship between honeybees and right. flowers or right. something, whatever it is. Right. It, it, whether or not uh, the, the lack of bees is due to our, uh, you know, some sort of pesticides or whether it's a natural cycle. You can, you can be skeptical. But when it comes to climate change, if you're even skeptical, they call you like a Holocaust denier. That you're on the level, the level of, of being skeptical of whether or not the Holocaust actually happened. Uh, in fact, it's even worse than that. They, they will say that you're doing the same as denying that the Holocaust, you know, that you would take the affirmative stance that there, there was no Holocaust, let alone that, there was, that you're skeptical about it. So that's, that's idea control. And for, for, for it to work, Sorry, for, for them to advance their agenda, and there are many agendas, this is what they do, and they do it well. It's not just the idea of controlling people by not letting them have guns. It's not just the idea of bringing in many more people into the country, whether they're illegal immigrants from Mexico or Guatemala or from ISIS or otherwise, just to flood the country. It's not just that. It's also the, the notion of making you feel uh, scared to, to bring up a topic. And then if you feel scared, well, then that will cause other people to wonder whether they're alone in the world as to their own opinion. And so slowly but, but surely, the, the active voices advancing the conservative cause, or for that matter, any cause that, that is a legitimate idea, um, they'll be silenced. And that's how they win. That's, this is how the liberals work. It's a form of, of uh, dictatorship. It's a, it's a, this is how dictators work. They, they intimidate you one way or the other. And they bring in more like-minded people, people that they, they know will be supportive of them. And, uh, and then they silence everyone else. This is what China did, does with Tibet, for example. They're suddenly Now it's difficult to separate who's Chinese and who's Tibetan, for example. You know, I, I don't know if Tibet will ever become a, a free nation the way that everyone hopes it to be. Well, it's gone now. It's, it's essentially gone. Basically what they did in the 1990s is they... It, it, the equivalent would be or if they took Israel and they made um, a majority, uh, a super majority of, of Arab citizens who were anti-Semitic and anti-Israel right. Right. and gave them complete power. That's and right. made them voting majorities. That, that, then it would be the end of Israel. Or if you took um, huge amounts of illegal aliens and brought them into America and turned them into citizens. And had them vote. But that's outrageous. I mean, that would never happen. No, no. <laughs> Gang of eight. No, no it would never. Happen. No, nobody would even think of such a thing. Be, it's, it's so preposterous. It would be so anti-American. It would be so, I mean, it would basically devastate the whole purpose of having an America in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, let's, you know, let's not go into fantasy land, Ari David. So, <laughs> the views of Ari David do not reflect the views of... Well, 
<laughs> and unfortunately, we, we are living in that, that world where, you know, having realized that they cannot win with the, their actual ideas, um, they, they've, just, they've resorted to kicking the, uh, the other boxer in the groin. Yeah, you know what's interesting about what you just said, if you think about it? We who are conservatives, we have standards. Yeah. And we are subject to this thing called humiliation. The way liberals behave in most cases... Uh, exempts them from the ramifications of humiliation. Like, for instance, how they behave on college campuses, the way they behave at Occupy Wall Street protests, the way they dress up as female genitalia at pro-abortion protests. They humiliate themselves, and they degrade themselves, and they walk around just fine. And then if you give them a sideways look because they're humiliating themselves, they say, basically, what are you looking at? Yeah. Well, actually, I'm looking at you acting like a freak. That's right. But other than that, nothing, right? Yeah. Those of us with dignity are subject to humiliation. And so they humiliate themselves, act not humiliated, pretend humiliation doesn't exist, then turn the forces of humiliation against us, and our side uh, is full of people who, because they're not like you and I, looking to get engaged in these things on a day-to-day basis because they're normal people, and I don't blame them for it, and they're subject to humiliation. They don't want to be humiliated. They don't want to take part. They don't want to raise their heads and say, I disagree. Yeah. And yeah, then they so win true. by that tyranny of silence you just talked it's about. The that's one of the, the ways. Yeah, we... we um, look, I, I mean, even the most noble of... Uh, uh, conservative professors, no matter what he does, uh, he can be brought down by the most animalistic uh, of, of liberal professors that are, are that surround him. Right? They they can do little pot shots. They can make rumors, and next thing you know, he's defending himself against pedophilia and, and otherwise, and uh, all without any basis whatsoever. It just needs to be said a couple of times. It's, it's, it's the fighting dirty that's involved. Now, it's interesting. I, I had a I have a in law relative who who said that, and she's a Democrat, she's a very strong liberal, and she said, you know, we just got to fight as dirty as the Republicans, and then we'll, we'll have a chance. And I just thought, like what? I mean, I was able to, to point it out, because, you know, something, usually they let things go. But yeah, and she's I referring said, to the Willie Horton ad from 20 years ago, as if that was dirty politics, and not just the truth of Michael Dukakis. That's right. If you remember that. Yeah, of course, of course. It, but but that's, I think that's exactly what she was referring to. Uh, and and, and, but she didn't even bring that up. And she said, well, do you know that you guys play dirty? And I said, no, I don't know that we play dirty. That's part of the reason why I joined the Republicans and the conservative causes. I felt that they were stand-up uh, about their, their way that they approached life. I like their clean approach to everything. Yeah, they don't bump people off the ballot by going to a judge and having them unseal divorce records from 30 years ago to humiliate a candidate that he visited a strip club with his wife before they got divorced. Yeah, and says, humiliate his ex-wife, humiliate his children, right. humiliate him, and cause him to drop out of the race so Barack Hussein Obama can win an election basically unopposed, which is what they did over and over and over. See, that's dirty. Running an ad about Michael Dukakis's actual record in which someone got murdered because of some criminal he let out of jail yeah. is a fact, not a dirty trick. Right, and, and, and well, they wanted to say it was racist because it happened to be that Willie Horton uh, was, was black. Well... Sadly, uh, much of the prison population, uh, an overmajority of the prison population, is black. So it wouldn't be surprising that the example that they presented uh, as as somebody who was a, a complete uh, what's the word I'm looking for conflagration of of the policy 
um, that, that uh, Dukakis had advanced, that he, he would happen to be black. It's not a surprise. It's not as if like there was only one Eskimo, and he, there's a tremendous amount of anti-Eskimoism going on in this country, and they found one Eskimo. Yeah, okay. and they could also, if they want to go to the racist card, I'm more than happy to dance down that path because if it wasn't for their racist Democrat policies, Willie Horton's neighborhoods would have never turned into garbage zones, causing a whole bunch of Willie Hortons to go to jail and commit crime in the first place. That's right. Yeah, it's just terrible. Anyway, I, there's a lot of dirty politics going on, and it's, it's really 99% of it is, is on the Democrat side. And this is this is what happens. You know, you, you, you throw uh, enough... Um, you know, it's, it's like the scene from Gladiator. You ever see that, uh, that movie? It's, it's a good scene. And the um, Russell Crowe character, who's the gladiator, um, he's at a, a battle to the death with the actual emperor himself who wants to show how strong he is. But, of course, he knows that he can't beat the gladiator. So what does he do? He makes sure to, he makes sure to poison the gladiator ahead of time before the, the actual fight so that he, the Russell Crowe character, um, Maximus is his name in the in the movie. That he gets dizzy and he can't really he's control himself. He's not fighting a full strength. He's not a full. And and then they to, to make matter sure that they even they poison the the sword so that as he slices him slightly, uh, then then of course even he slowly, slowly starts dying. But this is the way they fight. They 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 know they can't fight on equal terms. And certainly not in the war of ideas. So they fight in the most dangerous way and most uh, vulgar and unethical way possible. Despicable way. I think, yeah, is despicable is right. Yeah. And and so much of what we've seen in the in the in the, the liberal side has been uh, frankly despicable and again one of the reasons why I've, I joined the the conservative side. I didn't want to be associated with these these jerks who were cheating day in and day out and and no amount of righteousness uh, justified that. I, I don't like that. I don't I don't even like to win in court that way. If I know that the other side is right about a particular issue and that the, the law is being misapplied, I'll, I'll say something about that. I'll try to get the parties to stipulate to, to back out one way or the other. But if push comes to shove, I'll have to say, you know, I, I have to agree that the law does, does not go that way, Your Honor. And, that, and that's the right way to do it. But I don't think, um, I don't think the liberal uh, mantra has that in their blood whatsoever. Anything goes. And, and we're not really talking about that. We're talking about the war of ideas. Um, and the war of ideas is critical. And we, we, we're not even having a debate anymore. Think about this. We are not having a debate on the issues. You and I are having to explain how the economy works. If, if we're at that position, Ari, then maybe this nation is in bigger trouble than I, than I thought. That you have to explain why capitalism is good. You have to explain why God is good. Right? You have to explain why fewer regulations and uh, limited government is good. The, the basics. Uh, it's the, like explaining why to stop at stop signs is good. Yeah. It's, it's truly, we've talked about the movie, not to interrupt you, because I know you've, you're running short on time, but you know, we've talked about this movie Idiocracy yeah. over and over again. And it's truly descended into real idiocracy if yeah. we have to explain that. Right. Well, I mean, it's like me, like us, finally, and I'll use this as, as the last example, you know, why do we drive on the right side of the road or, or the left side of the road as the country may be, but just choose a friggin' side, right? Right. There's a reason for that. It's to avoid mayhem, right? But, but you have to explain that, right? There's a lot of things. Do we have to explain why it's good to brush your teeth, why it's good to shower? Do we have to, why an education is important and, right, why family matters and why mommy and daddy is best for the child and all these things that are so obvious to us. But we, we have to, 
And the more we're explaining things, the more I, I, be, I begin to fear for our country because some things should not have to be explained so so, cl- so clearly. Some things are obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the lack of God, a world without God, how dangerous that is, that I have to explain that, is, is perhaps my, my saddest concern of all. All right. Well, this is Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. 